No problem. How about that? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well today. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I was hoping to think of some kind of joke to uh, lighten the mood because I tend to get very nervous. Um, which is kind of funny because as a teacher, I speak for a living, but it's just different setting. And um, so I, my, I feel my anxiety coming. I was like, I just need a way to break the ice. And I, I thought of one. Thankfully, um, I know that Pastor uh, Wesley, our music director, has bronchitis. And, and last week, I uh, my whole family was down with fevers and strep throat and, and stomach virus. And I just thought to myself, you know, uh, our, we have a very wise pastor. He was like, music director's down, the youth pastor's down. I'm packing my family up. We're going to Florida for a vacation. He's a wise man indeed to, to uh, try to um, escape all this. No, he is on a much needed reprieve. And uh, I praise God for Pastor Jesse. And I'm sure you do as well. We have a fantastic pastor here. And um, I, I'm just seeking to come alongside him and, um, and just bring this word. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity today. Um, we have, a, we have a, uh, a couple things I want to lay before you today. First off, our, our goal, my goal is to make much of the Messiah. And uh, that should be the goal of every message here at Red Cross. Um, the text will be, will be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And we have a title this morning. The title that the Word gave us is, For, for to us a child is born. Uh, but I wanted to come up with my own title, not to uh, try to outdo the Word in any means, but just try to make it my own. And uh, the title that I came up with was, or is, From Darkness, Guilt, and Gloom to the Dawn of Glory and Grace. I'll say that one more time. From Darkness, Guilt, and Gloom to the Dawn of Glory and Grace. I know that today marked Advent, the first day of it, and uh, I think it's very fitting that we have our hope candle being lit today and um, the light shining in the darkness. Uh, it's just a, such a beautiful illustration of um, what's going to take place in this text today. Um, if you have one takeaway from the message today, my hopes is that it would be that Jesus Christ, you leave here knowing in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is the life-giving light which comes to us in the midst of the world's deep darkness. Jesus Christ is the life-giving light which comes to us in the midst of the world's deep darkness. Uh, again, church, I, I'm very thankful for this opportunity. And uh, before we begin, I'd like to pray. Pray with me, if you will. Uh, Lord, Heavenly Father, God, I just want to, uh, again, thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I take a moment just to reflect on your goodness, your mercy, your love, your kindness, Father. Your work in all of our lives, God, without which none of us would be here this morning, Father. Uh, Lord, I humbly and openly confess that without You, I am nothing. I have no good thing to offer uh, these people outside of Your Word. And Father, that is this, the strength that I have, the hope that I have, and the, what I'm standing upon today, Father. I know that, Lord, you have, you have said in Your Word that the righteous shall be as bold as a lion. And Father, I know that I have no righteousness from my own being, Lord. I get my righteousness from You. The Lord is our righteousness. So Father, I ask that You just pour out Your Holy Spirit. Father, allow it to just lead us, guide us, direct us into this truth. Father, Your Word is perfect. But I am not. I have a man of many faults. And, uh, and Father, I need You to, to help me articulate this, Lord, to communicate Your Word, Father, today. And I ask that. I ask that You open ears and, and eyes and hearts and Father, I pray that we would leave here changed, God. Father, that we would be people who hear the Word and do the Word, Father. I pray that it would transform us, renew us, Father, from the inside out for the good of Your people and the glory of Your 
name alone. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, as I said today, I have the uh, honor and the privilege of uh, kicking off our Advent series. And as many of you know, today marks December 1st. It's the first day of what many people traditionally know as the Christmas season. And if you're like me, it's a little hard to believe. I feel like it was just last week that it was practically 90 degrees outside. Um, but nevertheless, here we are. Christmas is among us. And uh, if your family is like mine, we have the tree up in our house to prove it. Um, but I want to take a minute just to stop and reflect on where you might find yourself heading into the holidays. Right now, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, heading into Christmas, where is your state of mind? Are you concerned with whether or not you have started your shopping list? I know Black Friday was, what, yesterday or no, two days ago? Or are you the stereotypical holly jolly type of person who sings Christmas carols at the first sign of a sub-60 degree, degree breeze? Perhaps maybe even you're a little bored with the holidays. It's kind of the same old, same old, right? Carols and mistletoe. Or maybe you fit into another category. Another category that is a lot larger than most people would actually think. Contrary to popular belief, the holiday season is actually a time where mental health clinics see spikes in, in cases of stress, anxiety, and depression. Some of the reasons for these increases are actually caused by decreases in other areas of their lives, such as a bank account drained after too much Black Friday shopping, or maybe even empty seats around your family's Thanksgiving dinner table. And the chairs could be empty due to a broken relationship or maybe even a death in the family. Either way, not everyone is exactly in a holly jolly mood heading into December. Their view on Christmas matches today's weather. This morning it was kind of dark and dreary outside. True, some may be brightening up their homes with decorations of lights on the outside, but inwardly, they are dreary and in anguish. I believe what is needed for many of us heading into the holidays, this time of year is a revival. But how can we go about that? A famous pastor was once asked, what is needed for a true and meaningful revival? His reply was simple and yet profound. Just two things. Number one, the Holy Word of God. And number two, the Holy Spirit of God. The man responded, that's it? To which the pastor replied, don't you think that's a pretty big it? I pray we would, we would feel that way today about the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. I would humbly confess to you today that without those two things, I have no business, I have no merit standing before you this morning to proclaim a message. It would be downright a waste of your time and mine. So without further ado, let's turn to the Holy Word of God. The Spirit of God is here. The Word of God is here. The people of God is here. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I believe this passage that was written some 2,750 years ago speaks just as clearly and directly as it does today, as if this message was spoken to us just yesterday. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be focusing in on verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, that ESV blue hardback one in front of you is our gift to you. Stand with me, if you will, in the honor and the reading of God's Word where we will begin. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. That's the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zublum and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them this light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, in the staff of his shoulder, in the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Let us consider for a moment the first verse of that passage. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but it said, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. That got me thinking two questions. Number one, who is in gloom and in anguish? And number two, why? In order to answer those questions and create a context for today's passage, I want, you to, I want to invite you guys to turn back a couple pages. Back things up a bit to the last part of Isaiah chapter 8. Look at verses 16 through 22. There we will find our answers. I believe that understanding this context is essential to unpacking today's passage. Again, we're in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 16 through 22. It says, Bind up the testimony, seal up the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Again, we see our advent here, our, our hope candle. I will hope in him. I will wait in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs importance in Israel. For the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and inquire of the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? to the teaching and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. In other words, it's saying it is because there is no light found within them. They will pass through this land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. 
And they will look to the earth, but behold, only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into a thick darkness. Wow. That is where we find this beloved promise of the the coming Messiah. There we see the answers to those two questions. Number one, who is in that darkness? And the answer might surprise you as it did me. We are. Or at least one point in time, for those of us in the room, we were in darkness. But why? Why was Israel, the people of God, the very children of God, why were they walking through this land in great distress and hungry? Why are they surrounded in anguish, darkness, doom, and gloom? Please note, they weren't just in a darkness, but it says that they were thrust down into a thick darkness. But then again, I ask, why? The reason for their darkness was due to the fact that they strayed away from the only source of true light. And this is a striking similar contrast to today's day and age, where God's children, they're not turning to Him for their source of light and life, the very nourishment of their souls. They sought peace. They sought protection. They sought provision but from perverted places. In other words, they've committed spiritual adultery. Just like we once have. They not only wandered away from their only true holy husband, but they violated the covenant made through His Word. And to top it all off, they're actually seeking the things that God provides in places they've turned to instead. They turn to these dead things that the world provides the places of these mediums, these necromancers, who only sought to tickle their ears by chirping and muttering things that they wanted to hear. The book of Isaiah says that they've turned to the dead on behalf of the living. Where do you find yourself turning to today, church? Remember, the dead things that the world offers can only cloud the darkness and thrust us further into the thickness of it but rather we should turn to the one true and holy living God whose light alone can can give life, who can penetrate down to even the darkest of souls. Can you see how closely this parallels to today? Can you see the brokenness and despair of those among us who are seeking from the creation what only the Creator can offer? those that are still looking among the dead, these dark things of the world to give life, to satisfy their weary soul. May it not be of us. May we cry out to those who are empty among us. Weep no more. Seek no more. Call out to Christ and be filled. Come to the light and live. That is where we find ourselves. In the midst of such despair, there remains a glimmer of hope. We see it in verse 17. It says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in Him. This brings us to the introduction of our Advent series. This is the reason for our hope. The very reason verse 1 in chapter 9 speaks of gloom and anguish lifting and a glorious way being made. This is our Advent. This is the arrival of our King in whom alone we find hope. 
church as they once awaited the arrival of their king who would come to lift them out of darkness and allow them to walk in His marvelous light. We too now await His second coming where He has promised to wipe away every tear and turn away all of our sorrow into eternal joy. But what about the here and the now? What do we do in the meantime? For that we will look to the Word of God. Turn your attention to verse 2 in chapter 9. It says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of darkness, on them has light shone. I pray that that verse would forever change the way you view Christmas lights. I'm going to say it again. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. In the midst of such a thick darkness, of such despair, out from that comes a vibrant and glorious life-giving light. But what light is it talking about? Was it the rising of the sun, the S-U-N? No. As we'll see in John chapter 1, verses 4-14, through 14, it's speaking of an entirely different sun. It's speaking of the sun, S-O-N. John chapter 1, verses 4-14 through 14 says, In Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. This light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. Now John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone. It was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to those who, he, who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Church, I submit to you today, undoubtedly, that is the same light Isaiah is referring to in chapter 9. That is the same light that gives life unto men. Church, have you seen this great light from before your face? Or are you still fumbling around in the darkness? Have you felt its warmthful, life-giving rays down to your very soul? Have you finally come to realize that there is no hope and no joy in any other name? That everything else in this life only leads you to despair and thrust you down into a thick darkness? Do you believe that the only permanent joy we can truly have as a believer is found in Jesus Christ because nothing else will last and therefore nothing else should truly matter? It is sad to know that some are still looking for the things of this world to satisfy. They are still inquiring among the dead on behalf of the living. And here's how you can tell. Here's how you can know if even if you are. I ask myself this question. Ponder this question. As you head into Christmas, as you head into this new year, do you say to yourself, if I could just have this 
one thing, I'll be happy. If I could just have blank, I'll be happy. If I could just have more time, more money, better health, maybe a nicer car. If I could finally find that special someone. Or maybe if I could have more respect at work or at home. Maybe if I could just conceive a child, then finally real and true joy will be brought into my life. That is discontentment in our Savior. That is looking for the temporary things of the world to satisfy the eternal needs that only God can fulfill in us. If we truly comprehend this gift of grace that we have been given this holiday season, then we would rejoice. Verse 3 in chapter 9 says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They have rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest. And they were glad as when they have divided the spoil. By the way, did you notice who's doing this? You have multiplied. You have increased before you as with joy. Heading into Christmas, do you have joy? Just a month ago, I was struggling with not having joy. Do you have joy? It's okay to confess that. If we confess it, He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I'm talking about joy unshakable. I'm talking about joy regardless of life's circumstances. Did you know that part of the gift of having Christ is that you might have joy? And I'm not talking about a little bit of joy. No, I'm talking about John 16.33. It says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? What's the point of it? What's the point of the gospel? That you may have joy and that your joy may be full. Not a little bit of joy. A famous pastor I look up to, Adrian Rogers, he once said, a joyless Christian is an oxymoron. J.C. Ryle in his book on holiness gave an illustration when it comes to a Christian who is living without joy. Is it, it is as if they were an heir to a multi-million dollar fortune. And yet they live their entire life in ignorance of it. They live their entire life in dire poverty. How can we neglect such a treasure we have been given? How could we neglect the gift of fullness of joy? You've been given it. You're an heir to it. But you li- we live our lives as if we were in poverty of it. It doesn't make sense. Sure, you can live off little to no joy, but you certainly won't live well. You can live off the crumbs that fall from the king's table, but why when he's offered you a very seat at his Thanksgiving feast? Oh, I pray that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine. Send portions to everyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is the reason for all of this joy? Back to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in blood turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. 
Allow me the opportunity to be candid with you for a moment. When I first read that, I was very confused. I had to do a lot of digging to understand it, part of that passage. And I'm going to try to condense about five hours of study into five minutes for you to explain what some of these important takeaways are. Number, number one, the yoke, the staff, and the rod in this context are all used in the context of oppression and bondage. When Isaiah penned this letter to the church, when he penned this letter to Israel, through the Holy Spirit's leading, the people of God were under severe oppression from their enemies. And you know what? God allowed that to take place. God allowed that to happen as an act of discipline because a loving Father will discipline those He loves. The purpose of it is to drive them back to His loving care. And the promise is that God would break the bondage of on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior, every battle turmoil, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as a fuel for the fire. Basically, every single military boot and bloodied bandage at that point in time will be good for nothing. Will be only good for one thing, and that's firewood. Why? Because our prince is coming and he is bringing peace with him. In regards to the day of Midian, it is a fascinating story. It is well worth your time. It is well worth a read. Please, if you have time this week, read it. Judges chapter 7 and 8 for the full story on it. But because of our time restraints today, I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version of it, okay? Starting with Gideon, he was least likely of all the people of Israel to lead God's army. And he had to go up against one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Judges chapter 7, verse 12 gives us a little glimpse as to what he was going up against. Check this out. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east, they lay among the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. I can't count that high. That is a tremendous number. They are in more abundance of the sands that are on the seashore. And what's fascinating about that, Gideon had to go up against that force. But what's fascinating about that story is what God told him heading into that battle. Gideon, you're going up against this force. But what the Lord told Gideon was, you know what? The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. Basically, you have too many people. Not that they don't have too many people. You have too many people for me to give this victory into your hands. Because if I do that, the people will boast over me saying, look at my own hands have done. God told Gideon, I want you to dwindle your forces down. At that point in time, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers. He was 32,000 strong. And you say, that sounds, that sounds like a good number. Okay. You're going up against more people than there are sand. Grains of sand on the seashore, okay? That's not good. God told Midian, I want you to dwindle it down to 300. I want you to dwindle it down to just 300 men. And when it came time for that day of battle, those 300 soldiers were victorious without killing a single person. And here's how they did it. The Lord God Almighty, He cast the enemy into great confusion. And they fought against themselves. And He gave the people of God a great and miraculous victory. The Lord God fought the battle for them. He did that for them then. He does that for us now. He fights for us. 
Brothers and sisters, I want you to take this away today. God doesn't need 32,000 mighty men to accomplish his will. God didn't even need the 300. We can see all of our great enemies of sin, darkness, and death getting defeated by a single infant child. The Christ, who through his life, his prayer, his obedience, he has won the eternal victory over all from the cradle to the cross. If that doesn't get you fired up for Christmas, I don't know what will. As we continue in verse 6, we are told, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Can you imagine just for a moment, did you hear those words? For to us, the Son is given. For to us, the Savior of the world is gifted. Jesus Christ was the first Christmas present ever given. And He was never intended to be wrapped up and placed under a tree. He was stripped naked and hung on it. He was, excuse me, <clears throat> he was to provide the gift of eternal life to all of those who would believe through faith. Praise God for Jesus. We won't spend too much time on verse 6 for two reasons. Number one, we don't have much time left this morning. And number two, when Pastor Jesse comes back, he'll be unpacking each of these amazing names given to this newborn king. We look forward to that. But I would like to mention just one thing to help us better understand the magnitude of this little boy for a moment. I know this world has a lot of problems, especially here in the so-called United States of America. We might be singing of joy and peace, but our own government seems to be at war within itself, desiring to, tell, to tear itself apart. In the midst of this great darkness, may we always remember that no matter how big those problems are, they're really never any bigger than about the size of a nickel. Let me explain that. Those problems are never any really bigger than about this big. Why? Because the Word of God says that all the governments in the entire world fit upon the shoulder of that infant. Squarely upon his tiny shoulder. This newborn babe, who is truly worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. And as we wrap things up in verse 7, turn your attention please to verse 7. It says, Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Church, this promise is certain. This promise is secure. This promise is eternal. And it is due to the fact that God alone will do this. It is His own zeal that accomplishes His purposes. Let me put it to you this way. Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. This is describing a king of whose rule and reign will have no end. And now, as we await the second advent, the second coming of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, I plead with you. I plead with every single person in this room, no matter where they might find themselves, 
As the famous Christmas carol goes, prepare him room. Just like the inns in Bethlehem that faithful day, some of the hearts in this room have a no vacancy sign over their doorways. There is still no room for you here, Jesus. And yet there remains hope. There is always room in the hearts of the humble. There was room in the lowly manger. There will be room in the heart of the humble. Well, how can we repair Him room? Humble yourself before the Lord and respond in worship. Respond with rejoicing. Respond to this message with joy. I would like to close with one verse. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Sorry, two verses. Church, this is your benediction. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness, the people. But it doesn't end there. The Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise You for who You are. We praise You for what You have done, what You are currently doing, what You will do. Father, You are the author and the perfecter of our faith, God. I pray that You would help us to take captive every thought, Lord, and take it and make it obedient, Father. I pray that You would go into our hearts and prepare them room. You have come. You are coming. Whether we are ready for it or not, You are coming. Help us to be ready. Help us to be found faithful through the power that You provide for the good of Your people and for Your glory alone. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.